0: This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it.
1: The button portion stops here. Plug the
0: radio in. Yeah, there's a key.
1: Welcome, once again, to Evidence for Faith. This is the show where we give you the evidence that shows that Christianity is true, the show that explains the benefits of Christianity for personal happiness and human flourishing. Hello, I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings. And today, we are talking about the search for the meaning of life. Kirk, we have a couple news items But I guess, let's see, I should tell everyone that they can check out our website at evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence, the number four, faith.com. You can listen to past archived shows there, or if you have iTunes, you can listen to our podcast on iTunes. Just go to the podcast section and enter Evidence for Faith, or if you'd like to listen to the show live and you're not in the South Jersey area, you can listen on the internet or on your iPhone by the TuneIn Radio app. So you just get the TuneIn Radio app Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You plug in WIBG 1020 AM and preset that, and then you can listen to the show. And if you'd like to join in the conversation, which today happens to be about the meaning of life, how do we figure it out? Can we know it? Didn't they make a game out of that a few years back? I don't know. Did they?
2: The game of life?
1: Oh, there is a game of life. That's <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I but think I they're... don't think it has the search for the meaning of life in it. It's I think the, the, the meaning is to make as much money as possible and retire or something like that. Right.
2: There's a <laughs> so... serial, too. Life serial. Oh,
1: that's right. Yes. <laughs> yes. We will not be talking about that today either. <laughs> okay. Forget I said that. We do have a quote that one of our listeners sent in, and it's a great quote, so I thought I would pass this along for the rest of our listeners. This is – it starts out with a quote from Alexis de Tocqueville, who was a French aristocrat who visited colonial America and – well, actually post-colonial America. And he says, among us, meaning the French – I had seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom almost always move in contrary directions. Here, being America, I found them united intimately with one another. They reigned together in the same soil. And then historian Gertrude Himmelfarb comments on this quote by saying, Thus, the country where Christianity was the most influential was also the most enlightened and the most free. So that's our quote for today. Christianity does bring good things to society and to nations that adopt it. Kirk, you've got a news item for something coming up, Academic Freedom Day, right? Yes, I do. We have uh, one of our listeners uh,
2: who likes to go by the name of Cowboy Bob has a website where he explores evidence – For uh, the Bible and Christianity, much like we do. And his website is located at uh, www.piltdownsuperman.com. And he wanted us to mention that on February 12th, it's going to be Question Evolution Day as well as Academic Freedom Day. And they're going to have some uh, special things on his website and I believe there are some other websites, too, that are going to be taking part in that. And he wanted us to mention that on the show so that you can all get ready for that.
1: There you go. Yeah, and I think it's a great timing. I mean, if it is Academic Freedom Day, then why not question evolution? Right. Just like in the 60s, I think they're, they used to tell kids to question authority. Mm-hmm. So question the scientific authority and see if they are really telling us the truth.
2: And of course, this kind of ties in with that uh, film that was out last year about the uh, um, the difficulty of um, them teaching uh, ideas about creation in schools and and stuff.
1: Yeah, that's right. What happens to you if you do teach scientific? evidence that doesn't go along with the reigning paradigm.
2: Right. And in many yeah. many uh, cases, you're not allowed to because they say, well, that's religion and we can't mix uh, the state and religion, so we can't teach anything that has anything to do with religion.
1: Right. Right. So, So much for academic freedom, right? Right. Well, Kirk, we've been talking about a great book. This is, the book is titled, Me, the Professor... Fuzzy and the Meaning of Life, and it's written by David Pensgard, who is a professor at Liberty University, and I'm hoping to have on as a guest for the show. He did this cartoon book where he talks about, you know, okay, it's cartoon, so you think, oh, well, that sounds silly. But he actually really goes into some very deep philosophical ideas, and I guess, did I say he's a professor of philosophy? So he's a professor of philosophy who's also a cartoonist. And the, the ideas are so deep and so interesting that I just am fascinated by it And I thought we should go over these ideas. And what he does is he takes a person step by step through basic ideas, what you can know for certain. Don't make any assumptions and start from the very beginning. So this show is part two of what we began last week when we started talking about some of the basic things that you can know for certain. Keith, I've been meaning to ask you one thing about this book.
2: Yeah. Who is Fuzzy?
1: (laughs) Oh, you know, well, see, it's written to a kind of a junior high level. And so there's these cartoon characters in there. Fuzzy, I think Fuzzy is the, he's like the guru guy who comes in later. Because what's going to happen is we're going to... As we start from basic ideas like do I exist, does the world exist, we basically build our way up until we get to ideas about the possibility of the existence of God and then so we talk about – he talks about different uh, theories about God and so he's got this Hindu character and I'm pretty sure that's fuzzy. I think that's fuzzy.
2: Okay, So – Just wanted to clarify that.
1: Yes, yes. I I got to get a copy.
2: I got to get a copy of this book to find out what this is all about.
1: Yeah. Oh, you'll love it. Especially, you're a cartoonist, so you'll really appreciate this book.
2: Yeah, I'm sure I will. It sounds like a graphic novel, comic book type thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does. It's not the cartooning is not as detailed as what I've seen graphic novels that I've seen in a bookstore. It's more like a comic strip, like a Sunday comic strip style, right? Cartoon.
2: That's right so, up my alley.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's the kind of cartooning that you do, and, yeah. and you know, this has. Um, frames and, you know, it's, it's not stick figures. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it's that, It's <laughs> not know, they're that simple. <laughs> figures, but it's just not, it's not like those, those color graphic novels that you see in a bookstore anyways.
2: Right. Not like the so ones where they, people- where they spend six months on one panel.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't <laughs> want people to get the wrong idea about that. So, but, um, but anyway, so what we're doing is we're going through the ideas that are presented, and they're just basic philosophical ideas. And last week, we spent almost the whole hour learning four things. So let's review for everyone what those four things are. Okay. Okay. To begin with, you are thinking. We can know that with certainty. Okay. You, you are thinking. Right? <laughs> You must be thinking. And even to try not to think about it, you'd have to think about how you can not think about it. Right. So you are thinking. (laughs) Number two, those who think exist. All right. Right? Otherwise, who's doing the thinking? Right. You must be. So you are doing the thinking. Okay. Third, therefore, you exist. Now, this is a classic formulation that (laughs) Rene Descartes first developed. I think, therefore, I am. Right. Or, as he said in Latin, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore, I am. But that is something that we can know for certain. It is absolutely true. Right. And then the fourth thing that we learn because of that, because we're thinking and because we exist, we can figure out that we exist in time. So, I know it's amazing. It sounds like it took an hour to figure that out. (laughs) but. We're going step by step, not assuming anything, trying to examine any assumptions that we have to bring into the conversation and into the thought process, examining it very carefully. And, and David Pensgard does a really thorough uh, job of this in his book. So we're going to try to mimic him and, and uh, take the idea and, and run with it. How far can we get? So we know those four things. Now, those four things are all about us, about Kind of the inside world, the world of our minds. Mm -hmm. What about the outside world? Right. What can we figure out or how much can we learn about the outside world? How do we even know that anything exists outside of yourself? Right. Okay? Couldn't everything be just kind of a self-created hallucination? Some people seem to think so. Yeah, and actually the philosopher Alvin Plantinga tells a story About a professor that he met who had this idea. This idea is called solipsism. Solipsism is the view that your own mind is the only thing that actually exists and everything else around you is kind of a dream or a hallucination. So he tells this funny story about meeting this professor. He went to, he was at the university where this professor taught, and so he went to one of his classes and sat through his class and then came up to him afterwards to speak to him, and he says that he treated him pretty well for a hallucination, because, <laughs> of course, the professor supposedly assumed that he was a hallucination, and so he he jokes that he, he thought he got treated pretty well for somebody who thinks that he's a hallucination. And then, as he was being guided through the university, uh, one of the faculty members said, Yes, we take care. We take really good care of Professor so-and-so because if he goes, we all go. So a little little joke by Alvin Plantinga. Right. But that's the idea, right? The world only exists because I'm thinking it exists, right? So this table in front of me, this computer here, this is all just part of my imagination.
2: Okay, but if the other guy is thinking the same thing, that means you're the hallucination.
1: (laughs) exactly right it becomes a real impossibility <laughs> i uh, i understand that there are some eastern religions also that essentially have this view that that uh, nothing's you know that you're just dreaming a dream <laughs> and you're just part of i guess part of god's dream also okay <laughs> so but does that idea work um, david pensgard says that to imagine this is being unrealistic and he doesn't say that's a pun but that's got to be a pun <laughs> built in there you're being unrealistic or unreal you're thinking that things are not real mm-hmm. so a little bit of humor uh, by david Pensgard also but really it is unrealistic i mean you couldn't exist that way you couldn't live that way you couldn't really go about every day thinking that for instance that the food in front of you isn't real food it's just a hallucination right what would be the point of eating it then right right so
2: and if I was so, going to hallucinate my own world, I think I would do it a little differently than the one that's here.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Everybody would treat me like a king, and I would get everything that I want, and I'd never there be sick, go. and I wouldn't die. And
1: <laughs> Right. If you're going to be imagining a world, why not imagine a better one, right? Right. <laughs> so so it really is being silly to take that view. You really do have to accept that the outside world exists, and Pensgaard says that it might be hard to prove that the outside world exists, but there's this one thing going for you. It's impossible to disprove. Right. No matter what you do, you can't disprove that the outside
2: world exists. And there's also a heck of a lot of evidence that supports the idea that
1: the world is just as
2: real as you are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And think about it. I mean,. I think the five senses that you have are five different witnesses to the fact that the world exists. I mean, I see the world, I see the objects in my environment. So that's evidence that they're there, at least partly, right? But I also sure. hear them, right? I mean, you know, if everything's a dream, I've had dreams before where I see things, but I don't hear things, right? but yet in the real world i'm seeing it and i hear it and i taste it and i feel it right so right. so i have all this evidence that is mutually exclusive right i mean my hearing system is not the same as my vision system right and they're all sending information back to me all my five senses are sending information back to me that the real that the outside world really exists so we're very safe Certain that we can say the outside world exists that so it is really just as real as I am, and it's silly to think anything else sure so there are-
2: the next time you bump into a door really hard, try to imagine that that big <laughs> bruise on your head isn't real. <laughs>
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's right. You know, if you're imagining things, you know, why are things happening that seem to be out of your control? Right. right? Why did you bump into the, to the door in the first place? So, right. Um, why do things happen that you can't anticipate? Right. Right. I, I didn't expect that was going to happen. <laughs> well, really, huh? really, I thought your mind was the only real thing. If your mind's the only real thing, then you ought to be able to expect everything. So, right. All right, so, so we can safely establish then as a fifth principle that the outside world exists. I'll go so, along with that. Yeah, right, exactly. We're making progress. We're hoping to find the meaning of life, to find true truth and what's real. There's one step further. Right. All right, so we've decided the outside world exists. Okay. What can we know for certain about the outside world? Well, before we get into that, let's just remind people that if you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks.
2: And I'm Kirk
1: Hastings. And I'm I'm real. real. Yes, I think you are. Yes, I think I am. And since I'm thinking that you are real, therefore you are real. (laughs) So we're talking about the search for the meaning of life and how to think clear thoughts and begin step by step towards knowledge learning what we can about this world if you'd like to join in the conversation you can call us at 609-398-1020 or if you have a question for us so the outside world exists what do we know for certain about the outside world well here's one thing you might not have thought about this so i'll just mention it but once i mention i think everybody all of our listeners will see that it is true its events do not occur without a cause okay. okay nothing starts to move without first being pushed or pulled no billiard ball starts rolling on a table unless you hit it with the cue stick or with another ball mhm right right now that's not just my opinion this is a hard fact and it's one of the things that we know through observation Right, through using our five senses, it's supported by everything that we've seen, everything that we know, everything from empirical science that every observation that's ever been made cause and effect. So there's something again that we know absolutely about the outside world. Okay. Well, we have a caller, Kirk, so let's take our caller. Caller, give us your name and where are you calling from?
0: Joan, a Calvert Township.
1: Okay. Oh, is it Jan? Hello. Jan, are you there? Hello? Go ahead, caller. I'm sorry we didn't get your name. Joan. Joan. Jan. Go I ahead, Jan. Just not hear you. <laughs> sure, go ahead. You're on the air.
0: I would like to play the devil's advocate, okay?
1: Sure. Turn your radio off.
0: Uh, okay. I like to say I like to comment on two things. The first one is what you're talking about mind. Um, the mind, according to uh, one eastern philosophy is this. The mind made the body, therefore There is no body, in fact. And then uh, one of my experiences when I was in California many years ago, um, she was a spiritualist, and she said, when we reincarnate again, we're given a card, and then we are put to sleep. Hypnosis. Okay. uh, Go ahead.
1: Um, Well, what did you think about what we said about the idea that the outside world has to be real? That it's kind of... Um, silly, almost, to think, at at least it's certainly unrealistic, to think that your body and the world around you is created by your own mind.
0: Well, didn't I just say that the mind made the body?
1: Well, how do you know that?
0: I'm just saying, this is what I've I've heard, and of course we can't prove it, you know, Uh, but there's such thing as, they would say, maya, or illusion, that life is illusion,
1: Right. This is solipsism. This is what exactly what we were talking about. Right,
0: right, yeah. Okay, let me just make another comment, because I don't want to argue sure. on, on anything. <laughs> okay. Um, it's about the meaning of life. Yes. Now, I'm much older than you. <laughs> but when I was around 33, I wanted to go and find purpose in life. My pathway, and there are many pathways to the Father, was through meditation which I did, and later on I found it was profound meditation, and I found the meaning of life and what my purpose was through meditation. Because Jesus said, when the when when the priest said to where, him, where is your heaven? He said, the kingdom is within. Well, how do you get there? The straight and narrow path, meditation. And when I received this from Spirit, I received inner peace and uh, it, it was just great, which is still with me to this day, which is like 40 years ago. I just want to make a comment on it. That's all.
1: All right. I appreciate that, Jen. And thanks for listening to the show. Hopefully, okay. you'll be able to follow along with us. This is going to take a couple of weeks to go through this, but we're going to see if we can come to the meaning of life through logic and reason.
0: That's, that's your, uh, uh, Instead of through not meditation. your logic and re- reason, so, because you're using you're using the left side of your brain. Man only uses yes. 10% of his brain. The other, meditation is going to the right side of your brain, which, which man does not use, which we should use, otherwise we wouldn't be where we are today in this world. Uh, that is spirit.
1: Well, I'm a big proponent of meditation, at least meditating on God's Word. So... I'm all for that, but I'm also a big proponent of logic and reason, and we're trying a little experiment here to see if we can come up with the meaning of life just by thinking clearly and not making any assumptions. So thanks, Jen,
0: for
1: listening. really appreciate that. Okay. Um, So we've gotten up to the point then – Thanks for calling, Jen. Uh, we've gotten up to the point, the point where we've realized that there is such a thing as cause and effect. All right? Events do not occur without a cause. Right. And, you know, that's not just someone's opinion. That is a fact that is readily supported by every observation any human being has ever made. Right. So now we have another truth or fact that we can rely on all events are caused. Now, at this point in the discussion, we want to take a closer look at events and see what else we can know for certain about them. Okay, We know the outside world exists now, that it's real, just as real as we are, as our minds are. And we know that all events are caused. Cause and effect is in place in this outside world. Mm -hmm. How do we learn about the events and the causes. Well, there's actually a study, a science aspect of science called thermodynamics. Right. Okay. And this is the study of the energy that atoms and molecules have as they interact with each other. Okay. Okay. So, as molecules are bumping around, as objects move, touch each other, bump into each other, slide across each other. Thermodynamics is the study of what happens to the matter and the energy in those reactions, in those events. As things happen in the world, mm-hmm. can we learn what's going on at a physical level to dealing with matter and energy? Okay. So that area of thermodynamics has produced three laws of science. Okay, There are three major laws that everything in the universe – Must obey regarding thermodynamics. Okay? So, we're going to go through that and then we'll see what we can learn about cause and effect and the universe based on the three laws of thermodynamics. Okay. So, let's do that. So, the first law of thermodynamics is that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Right. Okay? And I think a lot of people have heard these laws before. But maybe not use them in a ph- philosophical argument, trying to see what can we learn? What can we learn philosophically for certain as, as knowledge about ourselves and our the world around us? Mm-hmm. Energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Now, people will think, well, what about an atom bomb? I mean, you're, you know you're creating energy there, aren't you? Taking a little softball-sized piece of uranium and – turning it into a massive amount of energy. So, aren't you creating energy there? But in reality, what this law of thermodynamics is talking about, matter is considered a form of energy. And we know this from Einstein's equation, right? E equals mc squared, right? You're able to convert energy into matter and matter into energy. So, looking at it that way, matter is just a form of energy. Right. Okay. Okay? So... You know our bodies and the table in front of us is a. It's almost like frozen energy. It's a. It's a form of energy.
2: Right, and if you put a match to it, then it uh, gives you heat and light, and it changes into something else.
1: (laughs) That's right. It releases the energy that's inside.
2: Right. That's right. But it doesn't lose anything in the process. It just changes into a different form.
1: That's right, and you don't gain any energy. Right there, you have that one that equation stays the same, it just moves from one side of the equation to the other, right? So, David Pensgard gives this kind of slogan, and this is you know, not his, he didn't think this up, but this is a slogan that, that other scientists have put forth. What this really means is that in the game of life, you can't win, okay? Why can't you win? Because you can never get more than you have already, okay? So, in the universe, there's a certain amount of energy. There's there's a certain amount of energy in the form of matter, and that's all there is. There isn't any more, and you can't get any more. Right. So the last time I checked, God is stopped creating. So he's uh, resting. So right now, uh, let's not throw in a bunch of um, uh, outside thoughts right now. Let's stick with this, the laws of thermodynamics. All right. So right. So the first law of thermodynamics is energy is never lost. It's never destroyed. Even if water, if you put out a fire with water or dynamite explodes, you're still not getting any new energy. The total energy of the universe remains the same. Right. So you can never, you never win, right, as if it's a game because you never get more than you start with. Right. Whatever you have right now, that's what you get and you don't get any more so you can't win.
2: You can't add to anything. Exactly. What's there is there. <laughs> That's right. You can change it, but you can't get any more of it.
1: Right. All right. Let's go on to the second law of thermodynamics. All right. This is the famous one, and we've talked about this in the past because it comes up during conversations about uh, evolution. Uh, You know, Does evolution violate the second law of thermodynamics? Now, we're not talking about evolution today, but we still need to see what we can learn from the second law of thermodynamics. Right. And that is… The second law is that the entropy, which is a big word which just means disorder, okay? The disorder of the universe is always increasing, okay? Okay. Now, David Penzgard has a slogan here for this second law. It means you can't have a draw, okay? So in the game of life, not only can you not win, but you can't have a draw. Why? Because things are getting worse all the time. Entropy always increases, so now, there even, are,
2: even though the amount of energy in the universe is not changing, it is becoming more disordered all the time.
1: Exactly. That's right. Things in the universe are becoming more disordered, uh, and the energy that's there is becoming less useful, right. less able to do work. In fact, those right. are there are several different ways of describing the second law of thermodynamics. You can say that the entropy of the universe is always increasing – or you can say that the energy available to do work is always decreasing. So
2: Yes, I can verify that as I get older.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's right. So of all the all the energy that's in the universe, the energy that's there is of two types. Available to do work, not available to do work. Okay. All right. And that energy that's available to do work is always decreasing. It's always becoming going more towards the kind of energy that can't do any work. It's a Yep. Another way of describing the second law is that some of the energy that's put into any process is lost to friction. Okay? Okay. So it's just kind of wasted energy. If you could create a process that didn't have any friction, you would be able to drive your car essentially forever. But I guess you couldn't stop it then. You'd uh, you'd need to be able to turn on and off the friction, right, so your brakes will work. You're talking about a perpetual motion machine. It would be a perpetual motion machine if there was no friction, right? No friction to slow it down, right. Right, because there'd be no loss of energy. All all the energy you'd be uh, putting into the machine would be available for work all the time. Right. Another way of describing the second law of thermodynamics is that all things naturally go from an ordered state to a disordered state and from, a, from complex organization to complete regularity. Okay. All right? And that's where when we got into this argument with our atheist friends back, I guess this was early last year. I think that's when we uh, debated them. They made the mistake of talking about an ice cube floating in a cup of coffee and said that when the ice cube melts, that is making things more ordered. Well, it's not more ordered. It's actually more structured, more complex to have the ice cube. And when the ice cube melts and dissolves into the hot liquid, it becomes more regular or uncomplex. Right. So the, you know, they really didn't even understand um, what the second law of thermodynamics was all about. One of the other mistakes that they made was because of the title, thermodynamics, they tried to claim that it only has to do with heat exchange. It only has to do with thermal. But that's actually not true. It actually has to do with every type of event that there is. Mechanical events, physical events, electrical events... Chemical events, right? All of them are affected by thermodynamics, right? Now, so the slogan "you can't have a draw" is because even though you can't lose energy, it can become useless, right? So that energy that you have becomes useless, and you'll always come out of any interaction with less than you start. So you have a cause and an effect. You have an a, an event that happens. And always, in every event, you have less than what you started with, less usable energy. Right. So it's as if you can imagine this. Imagine that all of the energy in the universe is in an hourglass, in the top part of the hourglass. And as time passes, the energy is used and therefore it falls into the bottom of the hourglass where it becomes useless again right or becomes useless for the first time right so that's an example of of what's going on in the universe all the energy in the universe is slowly becoming useless it's being used up basically like a battery that's wearing down you've got a fully charged battery at the beginning and even though you've still got the battery it's be, the energy becomes so weak that it becomes useless and can no longer be used right so all the all the energy in the universe is becoming unavailable to ever do any kind of work again there'll you know no more suns no suns that are shining to heat planets uh, there'll never be any anything more happening eventually when it when everything in the universe becomes all the energy becomes uh-huh. unavailable for work guess what It's all over. There ain't no more. Right. It's the end of the universe. And maybe some of you out there have heard of the heat death of the universe. This is what they're talking about. Right. That eventually the entire universe will just be nothing but a low-level, I think they say it's infrared, be probably at the infrared level. Just low-level heat that can be used for anything. So this second law of thermodynamics it might not be intuitive to everyone i mean you know we had a real problem trying to teach the atheists what it was all about but actually the second law is probably one of the most rigorously tested laws in all of science we really know this is true there's i mean people have tried to create perpetual motion machines forever and no one's been able to do it it's you really do uh, you can't you can 't have a draw you can't you can't uh, even break even right now we said that this has to do with the thermal the chemical electrical biological mechanical every kind of event that happens but it, something that 's interesting that has uh, to do with uh, information and and DNA that's in the cell is that uh, Ludwig Boltzmann in eighteen ninety six and then also later Max Planck confirmed in 1912 that even information is subject to the same degrading force the same effects of entropy over time so information as a complex structure right information is specified complexity even that type of complexity is slowly breaking down Mm -hmm. over time and that's one of the things that if you remember that geneticist that we had on the show talked about how DNA is slowly breaking down over time and living organisms are slowly going extinct. Right. Well, there's two temporary exceptions to this law of thermodynamics that we know about. Okay. One of them is life, and one of them is intelligence. So let's take a look at that. But if you're just joining us, we want you to know that you're listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. And I think I'm Kirk Hastings. But you're not sure after all this that we've been going through. Actually, you should be certain. Uh, you should be certain that you're you.
2: <laughs> I think I am. Therefore, I am, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, therefore, you exist. We're talking about the meaning of life, and we're, we're using a book – called Me, the Professor Fuzzy, and the Meaning of Life by David Pensgaard. We're going through a developmental series of ideas, step by step. What can we learn? What, if we start with no assumptions, can we build up and learn things based on what we do know for certain? So we've established six basic principles that we can know for certain, that we know are absolutely true. And right now, we're examining the events that occur in the outside world through thermodynamics to see if there's something else we can learn so that we can continue this quest of knowledge for the meaning of life. So it does appear that life seems to be a temporary escape from this law, the second law of thermodynamics that everything is going downhill. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about it. If entropy had its way, if entropy was working the way we say it is, our bodies would decay into mush in just a few weeks. I mean, our bodies are just a hive of activity. All kinds of events are going on constantly. Our heart is beating rapidly. Our mind is thinking electrical impulses are going around. Muscles are moving. Joints are bending. And all this energy is being used up. Everything is decaying. So how come our bodies don't decay? How come our bodies don't just decay away? Right? Well, they so, do I eventually. Mean, yeah, they do eventually. But we've got some kind of a temporary ret- reprieve, right? right. I they, mean, they say think that your body—if uh, somebody dies and their body is just laying there—what's going to happen to it? I mean, it's just going to be rot away rapidly, right? So how come? Now, if that person had lived, let's say they the, the dead body is of a 50-year-old man. Well, if the person had lived, they might live for another 30, 40 years. Well, how come if they're just because they're not alive, they decay away immediately? Right. Right? I mean, according to uh, second law of thermodynamics, every event in your body is inevitably making things worse. It's increasing the disorder and you would just die rapidly, right? But somehow life seems to be able to avoid this at least temporarily right? right this decay process i mean you're not rotting right there i mean i haven't seen you recently uh, kirk <laughs> but i don't think you're rotting over no. there in the studio are you i'm getting older but i'm not it's not that bad <laughs> right? okay so there's something that's happening there's something that's delaying the rot process Right. Right? The decay process. Something is delaying it in you. So even though the second law of thermodynamics says everything's going downhill, it's like an escalator inevitably pushing you downhill. According to David Pensgard in his book, it's as if you're walking up that down escalator. Right. So you're able to walk up. So every time you take a step upward. Yes, the escalator pulls you down, but you're able to walk up at the same speed or at least slightly less. You're still losing a little bit. You're still headed down. I mean, eventually you're going to get to the bottom of the escalator, right? Right. I mean, unless you know something I don't know. Unless you're taking some some pills that I don't know about, (laughs) right? So entropy, this this force towards disorganization and decay, drags you down while you're walking up. And this allows organisms, creatures, to stay alive for more than just a few days or a few weeks, right? I mean, you don't just, you know, your nose just doesn't rot and fall off your, <laughs> your, uh, your face. Right. right? So let's talk about how this happens. How is it possible? How can it be that you can temporarily postpone the second law of thermodynamics? How does life postpone the second law of thermodynamics?
2: That's a good question.
1: Yeah, right? Wouldn't it violate the second law? I mean, if you're even postponing it, doesn't it violate the second law of thermodynamics?
2: No, because the law is still operating. You're just fighting against it temporarily. Well, that's –
1: yeah, that's it. It doesn't violate it because it's actually – in fact, it, it isn't really even postponing it. It only seems as if it's postponing it. It's actually diverting it. So let's take a look at that. The second law of thermodynamics is always operating. Systems are always getting more uh, disordered. Complexity always becoming more regular and simple and less complex. That's what makes the second law a law, right? right. I mean, a law means it always happens this way, like the law of gravity. Right. The law of gravity is always in effect. It's never not in effect, even if you have something unexplained, like a balloon floating upward. You know, you've got this kind of weird thing that seems to be violating the law of gravity, but the law of gravity is still putting just as much force on that balloon as it was before, even though it's going up, right? Right. Still, It's still in effect. And so the second law of thermodynamics is still in effect with your body, even though temporarily you seem to be avoiding it. So life is somehow able, able to temporarily avoid death. That's what you're temporarily avoiding. You're not avoiding the second law. You're just avoiding death. Right. So what's going on? How is this happening? What, how is life able to do this? Well, you and everything around you is normally decaying at a specific rate. Okay, But since you're alive, you can eat some of the things around you right? Typically, we call those things food, right? But you can eat food, you can eat some of the things around you, you take it into your body, and then that food degrades a lot fast, quickly,
2: it digests,
1: it digests, while you your body gets to slow down, it gets to not degrade as quickly, because you're using up. So the entire amount of energy if you used you as a system, you plus the food around you, you eat the food so that the whole system goes down just as just as inevitably, but because your body was able to make the food disintegrate faster, you stay up higher. It's like it's like floating on the water by by pushing the flotation device down lower. Right? You push down on the flotation device and that lifts your head up above the water. Would it, so work,
2: would it work hmm? to say that you're kind of borrowing the energy from the food you eat to keep you going a little longer than you would if you
1: didn't eat it? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's that, remember, we're back to that useful energy versus energy that's not available for work. Right. Here is energy in this apple or in this piece of meat that's ready to do useful work. So you take that energy in and you borrow that useful work, therefore... Your body doesn't have to use up the energy that's in it, because if you did, then you would die, right? Right. Use up all the useful energy in your body and you're dead. Right. So you're essentially borrowing it. So we're kind of
2: renewing our energy on a daily basis from the food we
1: eat. That's right. That's right. So that's how you keep level on this escalator. That's how you take a a step upward. You take a step upward by having a meal. Right. And then your body uses up that. It takes all that energy out of the food and uses it throughout your body. Okay. Now, eventually, of course, the escalator wins, right? You arrive at the bottom floor, you die, right? right? I mean, that's just one of the things we have to face in life. And if we're going to be looking at the meaning of life and what is the meaning of life, we have to think about that. We have to think about the inevitable result is, is death. And that's true. So, temporarily, we, uh, we escape it. So, life is a temporary exception to the, the second law of thermodynamics that increasing entropy. Right. Well, Kirk, we, we also mentioned a second thing that can temporarily essentially violate, it seems to be violating the second law of thermodynamics, and that was intelligence. Okay. Right. So, intelligence is the second exception to the second law. And this one, with intelligence, you can actually make progress up the elevator. You can actually go against the escalator, I mean, not elevator. We're using the... Try to use the same uh, analogies here. Right. This is the only way that entropy can actually be decreased. Okay. Now, again, overall, it can't be decreased. You can't actually violate the law. But what you can do is borrow it from the environment. So, things can be made to be more complex things can be made to be more organized by intention by intelligence so intelligence and a person's ability to direct force are required but if you have that if you can figure out a way to make something more complex and you can use your body to direct force on that object or that system you can increase the complexity within that system. Now, what are you doing? You're using up energy from your body. So, essentially, you're not really violating the second law, but at least in that area or that region, you can increase the complexity um, and decrease the entropy. So, let's talk about a couple of examples. If I assemble the parts of a model airplane, okay, I have increased the organization of those parts, and I've decrease their entropy right i've Uh made them more complex they were you know fairly uniform they're all laid out in a little plastic pattern you know it's just a kind of a flat sheet of pattern with some impressions pressed on them and you take those parts and you use your skill your your hands and some glue and you follow the blueprints to the model and you put it together and it becomes more complex right and this is the same kind of thing that happens with anything. Intelligence is required to build anything, even a, a real plane, or to build the watch that's on your wrist, or build a car, or the computer, you know, that you're sitting at, right? Mm-hmm. Anything that is an increase in complexity needs intelligence to, to do it. Intelligence and an ability to, uh, to move, to, to, to give force on things. Okay. Right. Now, some people think that life can increase its own complexity without any kind of intelligent direction. Right. I mean, that's one of the things that we've talked about many times on the show macroevolution. Right. 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 But macroevolution is, as an idea is very highly controversial. Right. Nobody has ever seen it happen. Even Richard Dawkins will admit to that, that no one has ever seen macroevolution happen. And even though it would be an apparent violation of the second law, a lot of people claim that it is a fact regardless, even though it appears to violate the second law. The good thing is that it really doesn't matter for our discussion. We don't need to take into effect anything this controversial, fortunately. Fortunately. So since we fortunately can avoid that whole discussion, let's, let's do that. So let's get back to thermodynamics. And just for thoroughness, we're going to go through the third law, and then we'll finish up the show with that. What's the third law of thermodynamics? The third law is that the average temperature of all matter can never actually reach zero. Okay? So the kind of slogan that David Pencegarden gives for that is that you'll never reach the finish line. Okay? Mm -hmm. So not only can you not win, you can't draw. But you'll never reach the finish line because the energy will never reach zero. Now, again, this is, we're not going to be using the third law for our discussion going forward. We're going to be using the first and second laws to, uh, to continue. But let's review, since it's the end of the show, let's review the six things we've learned so far. Okay, We know for certain you are thinking. We know those who think exist. Therefore, you exist. We know you exist in time. We know that the outside world exists. And we also know that all events are caused. So when we come back, we'll learn what else we can learn from the second law and first laws of thermodynamics about the meaning of life. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to Evidence for Faith. Please send your comments or questions to email at evidenceforfaith.com and include the call letters of the station that you've listened to us on. Join us again next week for more reasons to believe, and always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.